Hello and welcome to the Midwest Football Podcast, episode 15, your home for the NFL's upper Midwest teams, the Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. It is Tuesday, July 18th as we record this, and it is so good to have all of you give us some of your time this week. This week's episode is the second in our series of training camp previews where we're going to dig deep with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Green Bay Packers, and it's the Packers fandom which brings us our special guest for today's episode. I'm Joe Smith, published sports journalist and Motor City native. This is my Chicagoland buddy and broadcast partner, Brian Rosenquist. Hello, Midwestlanders and friends. Coming to you from another hot San Antonio day. You might be sick of hearing about how hot it is here, but I've reached my breaking point. (laughs) It's so hot that I spent Saturday night on an elevator because, uh, as the firefighter said, the it gets so hot the electronics fell and trap you and your dogs in on an elevator for an hour and cost you to not see your friends going away party. So I'm pretty much good to go at this point back to Florida where it's cool and air quotes if you're not uh, if you're listening to the podcast because it is that brutally hot. Now, before we get into our guest, I just wanted to say that we were hoping that she would be our first guest, but she was busy winning another kickball championship, sports ball championship belt last weekend or last week. So we had to shuffle her back our week, but we can continue forward. And I am happy to have her here despite her being a Packer fan. Go Bears. And Joe, continue on. Yeah, well, if she couldn't be our first guest, she can always take pride in being number two. Today, we are delighted to have a legitimate podcaster here to lend some class to our production. The second ever guest on the Midwest Football Podcast is also the host of the Hashtag Murder Podcast, not to mention a diehard Packers fan, Alex Lewis. Very nice to be here with you two gentlemen this evening. Um, And I'm very sad that I could not be your first guest. I was very excited to be my podcast is about all things gory, uh, murder, crime. Uh, we have some uh, prohibition episodes. Uh, anything illegal that you can think of, we cover. So if you guys are into that sort of thing, uh, you can follow us on Instagram at hashtag murder Spell the whole thing out. In that bio is our link tree that has all of our links to wherever you get your podcasts. And you can just follow us there. If you enjoy it, give us five stars. If not... Please don't rate us. Don't don't do it. <laughs> and uh, I w- I want to add. Um, we'll post this stuff on the social media stuff on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. And I want to say too, like she has some good crossover stuff, like a Ray Carruth episode. That's great. Um, who was the sport? The baseball player that um, I listened to that was really good. The guy that hacked up his family. Sorry, oh, uh, uh, Martin Burgeon. <laughs> he played for the uh, the Boston Bean Eaters. Yes, the Bean Eaters. Yes, back mm-hmm. in the day. Yeah, it's great. It, I, I highly recommend it. I love listening to it. So I was very excited. That's why I was hoping Alex would be our first podcast uh, guest, despite being a Dirty Packer fan. But we can get into that later because we are not here to talk about the Packers in a bad light. We're here to talk about them in an objective light. But first, we have some news. So DeAndre Hopkins signed with the um, Tennessee Titans for $26 million for two years. What's your guys' take on it? Do you, Alex, do you, wanna, do you have any strong thoughts on it first since you're the guest? I think my my first, like, like when I was reading that headline, all I could think about was how DeAndre Hopkins kept insisting that he didn't want to be picked up by the 
uh, Arizona again because he wanted to be on a winning team that was going to get him a ring. Uh, I don't I don't think the Titans are going to get him a ring either in either of those two years that they have him. So I'm just blown away that they he went that route. Hey, I've seen a lot of bachelorette parties in Nashville. Maybe he's thinking of that kind of ring. He might be married already. May, may, uh, <laughs> he's married or not. Yeah, I was like, uh. Well, it's pretty clear that he ended up taking what I think, at least, was the biggest dollar deal that he could possibly find. It wasn't really about the ring. It was more like, I hate Arizona, so I'm going to make it seem like I'm going to chase a ring, but I'm actually going to cash in as much as I possibly can. It is a little bit of odd timing because they just sent A.J. Brown out the door last year, and now they're paying this guy some pretty serious bucks on the far side of 30. And my first thought, actually, when I saw the signing was, what does this mean for Traylon Burks? Is this going to conflict? Is this going to take away from his growth? Yeah, you start two receivers, so there's that. But at the same time, they're not going to get 100 receptions each, I don't think, in that offense. Well, so it's a bottom five passing volume offense under variable his entire time. Um, so my I have some strong feelings on it because a lot of people, that's the big criticism is, why would you pay DeAndre Hopkins when you could have just kept A.J. Brown and paid him? But A.J., my counterpoint is two. Um, one, the GM that traded AJ Brown was fired halfway through the season. So this is not the same guy. He had he, this, the guy who signed Deandre Hopkins did not have the option to keep AJ Brown. I don't think the Eagles are going to undo the trade after making the Super Bowl. but at the same time, AJ Brown was four years, hundred million. So he's 25 million per Deandre Hopkins is 13 million per plus they took Traylon Burks with the first round. So they're getting, Burks and Hopkins for half the cost is AJ Brown for the next two years. That might be better or might be worse. I don't know. We'll see. But I actually think when you look at just the Titans from next year, 2023 season two last year, I think they are improved and people forget that they lost the division the last week of the season to the Jags after losing like four of the last games after losing their starting quarterback and starting Malik Willis and Josh Dobbs off a practice squad. So I think that they are now the division favorites. Controversial opinion, maybe? I think you actually raise a very good point. It's that the Titans are really very close to Jacksonville in a very close division, but somehow Jacksonville is getting all the hype. And I mean all the hype. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, it makes me wonder if he if that's the best offer he could have gotten, like why, why, why choose the Titans for essentially like a lower average value than I expected him to get. It makes me feel like no, none of the other teams kind of wanted him similar to like how uh, OBJ was expected to like sign some kind of massive deal based on like how he had performed in the past. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel like he's a little washed up. And then he sat out all year. Yeah. Well, he did detonate the last two teams that he's been on. So, and he's north of thirty. So, there's that. To my OJ, OBJ. No, I'm talking about Hopkins. Oh, okay. Well, so the word that I heard was that Hopkins had signing had offers from New England and Tennessee, and he was holding out for the last week or two because he was hoping 
uh, Buffalo or Kansas City would come with a contract within the realm of this two-year $26 million. And apparently, they did not offer him that much money. So that's why the, all the alleged, allegedly all the rumors of him ring chasing just ended up going to money. So, you know, and as much as I'd like to see athletes go get rings and try for championships, I will never stop someone from going to get paid. There. <laughs> yep. I don't know what the second offer was. If it was five million, taking twenty-six million, I agree with. If he had a twenty-four million dollar contract from Kansas City, I would judge him a little bit harder because I think twenty-six, you know, that's a little harder to justify. The other big news was Evan Ingram, tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars, same division. Evan Ingram got paid uh, an extension of three years for $42 million, I believe, give or take. Um, do you guys have any strong thoughts on this uh, contract extension, Alex? So uh, I'm just confused as to why the league is so intent on giving tight ends extensions for it's good money. You know, you need your tight ends there. They do a great job. But what we have, what Barkley, uh, who's the other running back uh, for the Chargers? Eckler? Eckler underpaid. Eckler's and underpaid. Josh, Josh Jacobs. Jacobs. Uh, then don't forget, you also have Leonard Fournette, Zeke Elliott, and Kareem Hunt are completely unsigned. Pollard was the only one that agreed to play on his franchise tag. Josh Jacobs gotcha. and... Um, Saquon are still upset, but Pollard, I guess he's just happy to get paid because he was drafted later. So he never had money before. Fair. I just don't understand not paying the running backs who do, they, they get the crap knocked out of them every single game. And, you know, they, they essentially start the offense for your games every game. So why are we not paying them? Especially, I mean, especially if they're so like such a, like necessary part of your offense. And I, I get it. Like wanting to like, just kind of like draft new running backs and start fresh every year because you think that you can do that. But I think you should pay your guys that have been putting the workout for you the last couple of years. Well, especially like Dawson Knox, they literally drafted a tight end in the first round to replace him in, in, but they, but people can't sign Saquon, you know, and Saquon Barkley is a dual threat. He's a he's not just a running back. He's a pass catching running back. So if we're going to pay receivers and tight ends for catching the football, why can't we pay re- running backs like him and Eckler that catch the ball too? Because I feel like they're Swiss Army knives. They they go above and beyond. They're not just a two down thumper like Jordan Howard was back in the day, where he's just a big boy that runs up the middle, does a good job with it, you know, like Jamal Williams and stuff. But these guys go above and beyond. Like Kareem Hunt, he's not even on a team. He was a he was a good pass catcher. You know, and all that kind of stuff. So, I'm with you, Alex. I I don't understand it. I would rather um, grab a tight end off the scrap heap than pay some of these guys. No offense to you guys, go get paid. You know, your people too. But these guys are elite at their position. The tight ends that we just talked about are good. They're very good. They're not elite though. Yeah. What blows my mind is apparently Jacksonville doesn't have a salary cap. Like somehow they are leading the league in stupid contracts. This is the same team that gave Christian Kirk how much money a year ago or two years ago? Yeah, they broke the receiver market. And now they're giving Ingram how much money? More it's than like, me. <laughs> I mean, I understand that 
they are doing everything humanly possible to give their quarterback weapons, but oh boy, at some point there's going to be a reckoning if you give this many deals that are this inflated. In the Jaguars' defense, it's not like they can – they have to pay a premium to get free agents to come down to Jacksonville, Florida to play for them. So I think that's part of it. But they might be in this spot where they're trying to go from competing for worst team in the league and getting the number one overall pick and blowing it on Trayvon Walker instead of you know Aiden Hutchinson to building up to a free agency destination. Isn't this the same team that just got like uh, ratted out by the FDA for having rats in their concession stands? I have not seen that story, but I believe it to be true. I mean, that sounds like Jacksonville. I've heard that about the Oakland A's, but that's another story (laughs) for another day. Well, they're the highest paying uh, fans at the the A's stadium. Jacksonville or or Jacksonville? No, the rats. The oh, the rest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I've been to Jaguars games. You, you could, you, they pay me to go there, and the and the rats go for free. So that's that's a story. That's a true story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so moving on, we have our uh, second week of our uh, season previews. While we have Alex here, it's for the Green Bay Packers. So the offseason key acquisitions were the various more safety. Okay. Pause for effect. That was the only free agent acquisition they added, but they also added guys like Lucas Van Ness, the defensive lineman out of Iowa in the draft, as well as, well as Luke Musgrave and Tyler Kraft at tight end, and Jalen Reed out of Michigan State University at wide receiver, amongst others at um, the uh, in the draft. And Jalen Reed's a wide receiver. They lost shockingly. You might have heard of the guy ahead of, uh, if you live not in a cave, but Aaron Rodgers, quarterback, left. Who knew? It was very not publicized at all. Nobody heard about it. Actually, if you were living in a cave, you might have actually been in the darkness with this guy. (laughs) That's true. Aaron Rodgers emerged from the darkness and ended up in New York. But unfortunately for him, he's on the Jets, but he's with his buddies, Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb, both receivers from the Packers. And Adrian Abrams, former safety from the Packers and Bears, are the other key losses. My favorite part about this whole trade and shenanigans that went on with this is that he was complaining the whole season for years about how the Packers were not going to go get him the tools that he needed to be successful. But he gets traded to the Jets. and The Jets are like, you know what we'll give you? The same tools you had in Green Bay. <laughs> it's, it's really true. When you think about it, like Al Lazar and Randall Cobb, and Garrett Wilson is basically Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, and Devontae Adams, except Devontae Adams is yeah. established more, though, than a second year. I mean, Wilson props to his talent, but Devontae Adams, arguably the best receiver in football. And you can't forget, um, he Rodgers hasn't broken in Wilson yet. He's still got to yell at him and tell him he's a terrible receiver before he actually gets good, because like that's, that's what he likes to do. Instead like, of helping these guys and like coaching them up and you know building up their confidence, he's like, you suck. Do better. I don't know what you need to do to do better, but just do better. Go do some ayahuasca. I don't know. <laughs> in in, so in the Andes Mountains. <laughs> no, it's true. Like That was why I was so conflicted last year in fantasy football with the Packers, Rodgers, receivers, because I was like, I don't think 
Aaron Rodgers, like Tom Brady with his young guys, he doesn't trust them. He doesn't want to build rapport with them, but he has to. It was it was washed up veterans like Randall Cobb or never has beens like Alan Lazard, or it was highly drafted or highly talented guys like Watson and Dubs. And we saw Dubs and Watson still end up being his top guys, but reluctantly. Like I think. If you look at it, Lazard still had a lot of passes thrown to him and Cobb, Cobb still had a couple fantasy relevant games, which no offense to him at this point in his career, he's not that guy anymore. He was elite five, six years ago, but I just feel like that was my issue with uh, the Packers last year was all the knock was on the Packers not helping Aaron Rodgers, but they've also never drafted a first round receiver when during his career, but they had Devonte Adams, Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, Al Driver, um, pro, uh, J- James Jones, and they still get guys. And I think Watson and Dubs and possibly Reed might be in the same phylum. They might they did they're just good at evaluating guys in the second day. So what does it matter if they're drafted in the first round if they're all pro? Well, like every. It doesn't matter where you're drafting, whether it's the NBA, the MLB, or the NFL. You're going to have first-round draft busts. Like, I don't think it matters how you did in college or even high school, whatever the case may be. Like, they just need to draft athletes that can adapt to what they're doing. That's mm-hmm. all they need to do. Like, if you can coach up an athlete to do what he needs to do, you'll be fine, which is exactly what they did with Devontae Adams. They He had the skill set. They just critiqued it to what they needed to do to make it successful. Yeah. Alex, I'm really interested to get your opinion on who do you think won the Aaron Rodgers trade? I've got that. I can get that pulled up for you if you don't have a take right off the top of your head. But honestly, um, I'm a little 50 50 on it. I feel like it's kind of a wash. Um, I think we could have gotten more draft picks out of it uh, than we did. But at the same time, I don't think uh, I'm a big baseball person. As you guys know, I don't oh, think draft picks yeah. matter all the time. I think it just Go matters. Dodgers. Go Dodgers. As Scarlett likes to say, <laughs> um, like you just, you, you have to coach up what you have. Like if you get, if you get an athlete in the second, third or fourth round and they have the skill set to do what they need to do to be successful. I don't think it matters how they played before or in college or whatever the case may be. You just have to make them successful. And I think coaching staff does a lot with that and just work ethic in general. So I think to your point, um, I might be transitioned to our next segment, but I think that's one thing that the Packers do well. Unfortunately, as a Bears fan, I've been beaten over the head with this for the last three and a half decades is that they're stable. And they grab guy, they they draft guys, they make them compete, and they don't care about their draft status once they're in camp. You have to earn it, and that's why they have so many Hall of Fame receivers without drafting them in the first round. Real quick before I move on, I think that the Packers won because I think Aaron Rodgers was going to retire or not play for the Packers. So to get a first and a second rounder, Joe, are you still looking up what they got for it? Yeah, I can read it off for you if you want. Hey, can you read that off real quick? Aaron Rodgers trade details, and a lot of these picks have been used. I don't have what they used them on, but in a vacuum, the Jets got Aaron Rodgers, 
the two of them flipped first round picks. So the Jets moved down two spots. The Packers moved up two spots, 13 and 15. Mm -hmm. Then the Packers got a second round this past draft, a sixth round this past draft, a 2024 second rounder. If Rodgers plays 65% of the snaps or more, that second rounder becomes a first rounder. And you the will. Jets received a fifth round pick also. Okay. So I think that to my point is that I think Rodgers wasn't going to play for the Packers regardless. So the question was really, do you trade him and get a first, second rounder and uh, to move, move up two spots in the draft this year or whatever? Or do you just get nothing for him? Because the only question is, do you think it's going to haunt you? Do you think he's going to win the Super Bowl against you guys this season? So here's my hot take on this. Um, I feel like we should have traded him last year because I don't think, uh, like, I love Aaron Rodgers. I think he was great for the franchise. But I think he was too played out in Green Bay. He was whiny. He wasn't good for the young receivers in the locker room. I don't think he did much good for Jordan Love in that last season. I think it would have been more beneficial to get rid of him earlier, give Jordan Love a few more reps as the starter, let him build his rapport with those young wide receivers before they get a bad taste in their mouth of, oh, is this how veteran quarterbacks are supposed to act? But I, I don't know. That's how, that's how I feel about it. So I agree with everything you're saying. In addition to that, he was already – mad about the organization and stuff so then to as an olive branch they signed him to that three-year 180 million dollar extension and then he went from two-time mvp to mediocre guy who got them to eight wins and missed the playoffs he would have had way more trade value a year ago too just from that perspective he would not he you would have gotten one more year of jordan love on the rookie contract he would have been working with the rookies uh receivers and um he would not have had the giant contract saddled to him. I think you could have gotten more for him because he would have had less guarantees. And also he would have been coming off of his second straight MVP. So I agree with you from that. But also at the same time, it's harder to trade a guy coming off from two straight MVPs. But there was so much smoke in that locker room. I, I agree with you. I think it would have been easy for them to trade him last year. But it's hard when you're coming off of back-to-back NFC championship games. you know. But that would have been the right thing to do in hindsight. And I, I think that they're doing the right thing now uh, building forward. And I just think that um, one thing that I like about what the Packers are doing draft wise is what you were kind of getting at earlier, Alex, with it doesn't matter who you're drafted or where you're drafted. It's just what you produce as. And the Packers in the last couple of years have drafted five receivers, two, three receivers last year, two receivers in this year. Um, And then they drafted two tight ends in this year in the second and third round. And they're just, it's going to be like the Joker in um, dark Knight, where he just breaks the cue stick in half, gives them each one and says, whoever walks out is hired. And I think that has been proven to be a good way to do it. You don't have to care. No one cares in Baltimore that Mark Andrews is a stud and Hayden Hurst is on his fourth team, despite Hurst being drafted in the first round and Rod Andrews being drafted in the fourth round of the same draft. And I think uh, Lucas Van Ness is a good example of this. 
because uh, like if you look at his like player profile, he just moved to an edge rusher the year before he was drafted. And even then, he's not the most elite in his position. He's just strong, he's athletic, and he's got a good size to him. And that's why the Packers drafted him, because he's also got some flexibility in there where they can move him in different positions versus just being an edge rusher, which I think is something that the Packers are going to need in their defense because they have to do something. I was definitely going to ask you about Lucas Van Ness because I saw just a giant Rorschach test in him. People see what they want to see, and some people see somebody who could eventually produce like a first overall pick, and some people see a combine player. It sounds like both from that description and also what you were saying earlier about, hey, you are your talents and abilities and your coaches coach you up. It sounds like you are a big Van Ness supporter. I am. And like, I've heard, uh, I can't remember what other podcast I was listening to, but they compared him to uh, TJ Watt. And I I would say that's shooting big, but, um, you know, that's, he's not, uh, he's not going to be the best guy in his position this year, but I think he's a guy that can learn from his mistakes and he's just going to keep growing. And like, he's already a big boy. I think he's like six five six four two sixty so like he's just gonna get bigger stronger he's gonna learn how to block the pass rush better like he's he's only getting better so let's talk about the defense for a little bit we'll circle back around to the contemporary green bay offense but as many high draft picks as the packers have spent on their defense and i think it's 12 first round picks in the last 13 years, they might start eight first round picks on defense this year. It still feels like the results on the field haven't quite lived up to that kind of draft capital. Now in press broadcasts and they're on YouTube, you can find it. Brian and I have talked a little bit about how green Bay is really historically the last couple of years built a sort of play from ahead kind of defense where they can, if they get in front of you, they can make very bad things happen. And last year, they didn't. But is that kind of the profile that you see having watched this team for so long? I hope that's not what they go for this year, just because you don't know what the offense is going to look like this year. Um, Is Jordan Love just going to come off the rip? Like, he is going to face... I think uh, the first playoff team we face this year is like not until week seven or week eight. So he's going to have a relatively easier schedule to start with. So maybe build his confidence and, you know, rack up some points, but I think they need to put some more focus in the defense and sign a couple more guys to make sure that they're secure before they go into the season, hoping that they can do what they've done in the past, where it's just, you know, score a bunch of points, hope for the best with the defense. Well, they definitely went, uh, with an emphasis on the pass rush in the draft with Van Ness. Plus, they also drafted uh, in the fourth round Colby Wooden, who's another really toolsy kind of defensive end that people seem to like. Um, they're, they've got a lot of young players, though. I think the inside linebacker, Quay Walker, might be the most interesting linebacker in the NFC North because he had 119 tackles in 2022 and also became the first uh, rookie ever to get kicked out of two games. <laughs> so, That's impressive. That is. 
So the first player just, in NFL history to get ejected from two game from two games in the same season. So to addition to the draft pick, they also in the sixth round they drafted my boy Carl Brooks out of Bowling Green, who was one of my favorite deep sleeper tight uh, defensive ends. Who I was hoping the Bears would get, um, and. Like we were saying, like they drafted Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt in the first round of last year's draft. So, um, in the Packers' hope, I think that they understood that they needed defensive help and that they were leaning on uh, Aaron Rodgers to give them leads in the past. And they, that's why they were they doubled down in the first round before getting Christian Watson in the second round last year, and then tripled down with Lucas Benes in the first round this year. And I think a lot will matter about how well Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt, uh, Devontae Wyatt, by the way, out of Georgia defensive tackle, Corey Davis was the guy that people talked about because he was the big fan of, uh, what do they call it? A uh, combine monster, right? But Devontae Wyatt was the better defensive tackle um, productivity. Corey Davis, wise. Not, not Corey Davis. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Corey Davis, wide receiver, Jets, a little bit different. Uh, yeah, Jordan Davis, thank you. And um, but the point is, Devonte Wyatt was the more productive defensive tackle in, in uh, Georgia uh, before they were drafted. And but he didn't get much time on the field because I think that they just weren't trusting him or whatever it was. Yeah. And if he can step up and be what they think he is, he could be a game wrecker. And if Quay Walker can turn into the first round caliber, because linebackers tend to take two or three years to develop. So I could see him making a big step this year, next year, airdrop Lucas Van Ness and help the defense. Because the part that we we didn't really talk about on the offense end was I think the the strength is they got Aaron Jones coming back, who has become the forgotten guy. In a lot of fantasy drafts, he's falling. People forget that he still exists. A.J. Dillon's pretty good. The Packers have a good one-two punch at running back. They can lean on. They can do play-action fakes, get the ball deep to Christian Watson, et cetera. And they can really do everything they can to help the defense out as these young guys develop, like Wyatt Walker and uh, Lucas Van Ness. So what's your take on that? Do you think that that's a possible way for them to win some games and develop Jordan Love? I think so. And honestly, I think not having Aaron Rodgers in the locker room anymore helps dramatically. Like they're not worried about all of the tension that's happening on the offensive line, a part of things. Mm -hmm. They just have to worry about them, do their job and do it well. And Jordan Love seemingly like all their, all his player reviews are been phenomenal. Everybody loves him. He's a great leader in the locker room. I wanted to get uh, Alex's take on some of the coaching here as we and use that as our transition piece. It's Matt LaFleur's in his fifth season here. And he I think he really stuck his neck on the line to bring back Joe Barry, the defensive coordinator. So out of all of this, uh, all of these kind of moving pieces on the Green Bay defense, is Joe Barry the owner of the hottest seat in Green Bay? I think that if Joe Barry doesn't put up his numbers through week six, maybe week seven, he's gone. Like, he doesn't have a job anymore, especially since we're going to be playing teams who realistically they shouldn't be putting up huge offensive numbers. If they do, he's not going to have a job anymore. That makes sense. 
I mean, you mentioned earlier they don't play the first playoff team until week, what, eight, I think you said? Yeah, like week seven or eight, uh, it's the Vikings too. So, like, you know, there's no reason we shouldn't be winning these first set of games. Yeah. I Look, I'm a big, big fan of owners, general managers, coaches, taking their job in their own hands with gutsy decisions. But so I'm going to ask you, is Matt LaFleur's job on the line if they are – another seven, eight win team and the defense is the problem. Is the floor <sighs> in danger here? I don't think so. I think the floor will be okay if he fixes the issue with the coaching uh, before he's been forced to. Like if, uh, you know, general management's gotcha. like, hey, like you done messed up too many times, AA Ron. <laughs> like you're gone too. Yes, it's gonna be it's gonna be Lafleur's job too. But if Lafleur can see the problem before it becomes too big of a problem and he adjusts it, I think he'll be all right. I also think that in general it rolls downhill. So if the defense isn't performing well, Lafleur comes from the offense, right? And his main job this season is going to be: Can Jordan Love be competent? If he can get Jordan Golov to be at least an average NFL quarterback, I think he's going to keep his job, even if the defense isn't good, because you're losing Aaron Rodgers, future Hall of Fame. Like, let's not forget when Aaron, when Brett Favre left, he, the Packers went six and 10 that year, but they showed signs of figuring it out. And the next year they were 12 and four and challenging the Brett Farr led 13 and three Vikings in the playoffs. So if that's a similar trajectory, he'll be fine. And I just think it comes down to Jordan love. And that's why I think that my question for you is what do you take? What's your take on Jordan love? Uh, Do you think he is going to be elite? Good, good enough. Bust. I will be happy if he is average. Um, I think as long as he doesn't go into the season wanting to be that next Hall of Famer, he's going to be fine. He's just got to stay out of his own head, do what he does best, because he's a different style quarterback than Aaron Rodgers, and he's more mobile. So I think if he uses his strengths and teams up with Matt LaFleur and figures out what works for him on this offense, he'll be okay. He may not be your next star, but I think he'll be a decent quarterback. You've just said what every Bears fan has said the last 80 years. If he could just be average, we'll be good with it. And we never made it there. You don't know what that's like, though, because you've lived your whole life with Barrett Farr and uh, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> <laughs> so I am hoping you get to learn what that's like. But so my take on Jordan Love is that I think the Packers overdrafted him when they did. I don't think he was a first round talent. But I also don't blame them for drafting when they did because people forget that Aaron Rodgers had a couple bad seasons in a row before he had his back-to-back MVP seasons once they drafted Jordan Love. But I'm kind of torn because my pre-draft evaluation on him was not first-round talent. But he's also been in the league three years, four years now, practicing, learning the game speed, earning the quarter, uh, the coach's trust. I think he might be better than that. So I honestly think that to your point, I hate to say it as a Bears fan, but I think your your hope that he's an average quarterback or better, I think is very possible. 
based on, I think if he started three years ago, he would have been a bust. So I think that they Packers played this right in getting him so early. He had a few years behind Aaron Rodgers to see how things are done and figure that out. And uh, for example, uh, Patrick Mahomes, he sat behind Alex Smith for a year. Patrick Mahomes didn't need two or three years behind another veteran quarterback to learn the game. He's just, you know, one in a million quarterback. Uh, like he's just one of those generational guys. But Jordan Love's now gotten that time to figure out the game, the speed of the game, and figure out what he needs to do to be successful. Kind of like how it used to be done in the past, where you draft a direct rookie quarterback, he sits for a couple seasons until he can learn how to do it himself. I hate to agree with you, but you had uh, Philip Rivers, Dante Culpepper, um, Aaron Rodgers himself, uh, Steve Young. You have, you have a lot of uh, really great all-time quarterbacks who did did not play as a rookie. And I do think that there's something to that because we are very judgmental. Like we saw Malik Willis play for two games last year and we're like, oh, this guy's a bum. Well, maybe he hadn't. Maybe he just hadn't adjusted to the game speed of the NFL because it's very different when the slowest defender in college is now the, or sorry, the fastest defender in college is now the slowest defender in NFL. Those passing windows get tight really quickly. And they even talked about that with Peyton Manning. We talked about, I think we talked about this weeks, uh, in an episode a few weeks ago, Joe, where Manning was not good as a rookie. He threw, he led the league in interceptions, but he was able to work through it. And if you can work through that in the practice field, it, it's it's a big advantage in my opinion. So as a, I hate to say this as again, as a Bears fan, I am worried that Jordan Love has been developing quietly on the sidelines. And I think that there's something to it. And I think that that is why they've moved on from him because they've seen him for the last three years in practice. They are ready to move on for a reason. Everybody. And I mean, everybody has said that Jordan Love has improved tremendously over his three years sitting behind Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, like Aaron Rodgers did sitting behind Brett Favre. It's not a guarantee that that's going to lead to success. I mean, just ask Matt Patricia about the difference between being around winning and being responsible for winning. But as a Lions fan, I kind of see this. I'm kind of like I've seen this movie before. And my concern isn't, boy, what if Jordan Love can be, you know, an, an average to good quarterback? I'm like, oh, boy, what if they get another franchise generational guy in the late first round? Then what? This might be a real short trip for Detroit. So my my take is that I feel like there's a really good chance that the most realistic outcome is – like the Niners, uh, where they went from Joe Montana to Steve Young, both Hall of Famers, to Elvis Gerback, who was a very good borderline Pro Bowl quarterback who was very competent. And I feel like that might be Jordan Love's floor, to be honest. It might be a ceiling, too, but I feel like that's a realistic outcome where he's very good and the Packers remain relevant, which brings me to the transition to the Packers over under is 7.5. Now I remind you guys, it is a not, sorry, seventeen game season now, not a sixteen. So, what's your take on the over under? I'd like to start this uh, question 
with Alex. Do you think seven and a half is insultingly low? Or do you think it is smash high or way high based on the transition from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love? I would say that that's the minimal that we should go for. Um, I will be ecstatic if we can win 10 games this season. I think that'd be fantastic, especially coming off. Like if you think about Aaron Rodgers' first season as a starter. Six wins. Jordan Love can win seven or eight games. He's already done better. So so do you think hmm. if, you were, if you were a betting person, would you take eight wins or better or seven wins or lower? Like not what you wish eight for. Wins. Okay. I would take eight wins or better. What do you think? Especially looking at the schedule. Mm, Yeah. Like the, especially like a, like if he, if Jordan Love can get hot in those first six games of the season, win at least five of them or even four, like I think getting eight wins, that's easy. Joe, what's your take on uh, the seven and a half over under? So we got one over. When I scrolled down to the Green Bay, over under and saw seven and a half. My first thought was, whoa, that's low. And then I thought about it. Remember, Mr. and Mrs. FanDuel live in a very nice house. Mm-hmm. It, what happens if the defense is a problem again? What happens if Jordan Love stinks or gets hurt? What happens if the receivers don't progress? This is, on the other hand, this is not a powerhouse division this is a division that just about any team could win if the dominoes fall their way so it's not like you know we're going to talk about the Bengals in a moment where they've got all these powerhouse teams in their division (sighs) yeah Green Bay's probably over seven and a half I don't feel great about it but unless things really go south on the defense or the offense, and if that's the case, then there's probably going to be some heads rolling. Then this is, I think, an average team with long-term upside much better than this year. So my take, and this is, I guess I'll be the controversial one, I think that the loss of Adrian Amos at safety is a bigger loss than people have talked about. And we didn't really talk about it much at all. I think safeties like running backs are a little undervalued where they get the defense on the same page and all that stuff. And I think that that's going to hurt, especially in a transition year. So I think that the Packers are a six or seven win team. I think they're likely to win seven games, which just meets the over under, which is why Vegas said it that way. But I don't think that's a loss for the Packers. They are a young team with a bunch of first and second uh, year pass catchers, a first year start at quarterback, a bunch of young, talented defensive players, which we just talked about first three first rounders in the last two years. I think they're a year away from being relevant. I think it's a weird year where we're going to see the Packers step back, but I think they're going to be stepping back competitively. Like, Think about like how the Pittsburgh Steelers were last year. I feel like that's an outcome where it's most likely for them to be, but maybe they don't rally back and quite get to nine wins like the Steelers did at the end of the season. I think the Packers are going to be a frisky seven-win team. So I'm, I'm going to take the under 
Um, my hope is that they end up a three win team. Just kidding. I don't want them to have that high of a draft pick, <laughs> but <laughs> right. and, and at the same time too, I do think that the lions are really good. I think the lions are going to take a step forward. I think the Vikings, they might've been overrated at 13 wins last year, but I think they are still a nine, 10 win team. I think they're still a very good team and it's in the same division. And I think the bears were a three win team last year, but when you look back at their schedule, they were close to a 500 team. I'm not saying they're going to be a 10 win team this year, but I think seven and 10 could be last place in that division, which could be the best last place. You know, maybe I'm a homer because I like the NFC North and I'm a Midwest, I'm a Midwest lander, but, and also I'm not picking Packers to finish last either, but I just think that seven wins is what my take is. And if they win not eight or nine, I wouldn't be surprised, but I'll take the under. And we'll move on to the uh, the uh, the Bengals. The lo- a lot of analysts nationally are picking the Packers to finish last in this division, and they have not finished fourth in a division or last in a division in decades. I so think they're... I don't think ever in a four team division. Yeah, actually, I saw this stat the other uh, earlier today. The Packers, Saints. Patriots and Steelers have not finished fourth place in the division since 2010. So you have to go back at least 13 years before the Packers finished last. I don't think that's realistic. I think it's more realistic that something happens like Justin Fields doesn't progress. uh, Jared Goff implodes or Kirk Cousins implodes and, you know, whatever. So I think all those are equally plausible, but it is in the realm of possibilities in my opinion. I'm going to hop off for the uh, the Bengals take because Whitney wants to get ready for bed. Okay, we've been late. So thanks for Kevin. Thanks for ha- uh, coming out with us, Alex. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me, guys. I, l- I had a lot yeah. of fun. That was that was a good time. I'm glad, and I hope you can come back and join us again soon. Take care, Alex. Oh, yeah. And if we ever have any, like, breaking news for the Patriots, or Packers, I mean, maybe we can do, like, uh, impromptu podcasts at some point and just get your opinion on stuff. So. Uh, when I cover another uh, sports ball murder, I will invite you, Brian. Ooh, that would be fun. Just give me some heads up. I got to do some research. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. That'd be awesome. Cool. All, All right. right. Everybody, Bye, so everybody tune in to the Hashtag Murder Podcast. And thanks again, Alex. Thank Miss you so already. much, guys. So on to the Cincinnati Bengals down on the Ohio River. We were gonna talk a little bit about Joe Mixon at the news, and we never actually mentioned it. So we're going to start our Cincinnati Bengals coverage with Joe Mixon, who has recently restructured his deal to uh, stay with the team. Actually, according to Paul Daner Jr. of The Athletic, this is the first time that the Cincinnati Bengals in their history have been able to rework a deal with an active player. But this does give the Bengals more long-term flexibility to lock up their player. Joe Mixon was originally due about a little under $13 million in 2023. This was part of his four-year extension that he signed in 2020. Now he will earn $5.5 million. So that is a cut of more than half. That's not a haircut. That's a decapitation. So an additional $2 million is available in, in incentives. So he might get up to $7.5 million. Mixon... Uh, also agreed to reduce his 2024 earnings by almost 4.7 million. So 
even factoring in the incentives, we're talking at a max out of 7.5 million in 2023, which is outside the top 10 running backs for this year. That's behind James Conner. That's behind Alvin Kamara, who's facing a likely suspension. Um, so this is a big deal for the Bengals. So I was going to say real quick that the restructuring of a contract is generally business as usual in the NFL, except that this is the first time in franchise history the the Bengals have ever done it. So just to pile on the fact that the NFL no longer cares about running backs who beat the crap out of their bodies, this is really an indictment. I didn't even know the details of the pay cut until Joe just read it now, where 13 million goes on to what five and six, seven million for the next two years. Base salary 5.5 million this year, reduction of 4.7 million next year. I don't know what it is. Mm. Actually, that's, that's brutal because obviously that's more than if they cut him, you know, and he's looking around going. Well, Zeke's still unsigned. Uh, Kareem Hunt's still unsigned. Lenny's still unsigned. Cook is still unsigned. And Eckler's still waiting for a pay raise. So I might as well just take a pay cut and keep my money. And that's pretty brutal in a day where, sorry, in a week where, you know, Evan Ingram is getting paid $42 million three year extension. The counterpoint, though, is he wasn't great last year. I mean, he had a good one good season game late in the season. We had five touchdowns, um, but I think he also expanded his game. He was a better pass catcher last year, but he wasn't as efficient as a running back. And I think that's the issue that running backs face is that they don't get paid early when they're really good, and then by the time they're good, they don't want people don't want to pay them anymore. And I just think it's weird to me that they restructure his contract in this way because the Bengals have one of the lowest salary cap figures because they're not, they're still, they still have Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase and T Higgins on rookie contracts. So those guys are all massive bargains. So I thought they were going to let Mixon and Tyler Boyd play out their giant contracts for the next couple of years because they would fade away by the time Burrow and Chase and Higgins sign their extensions. Um, but apparently they still want That's to pay right. Mixon less. And I just thought that the way that the contracts would have dovetailed, it would have allowed Mixon to get paid this year. But I stand corrected, and he agreed to it. And I think that will boost his fantasy value because that means he's going to be here for the next couple of years. But I just I feel bad for running backs. I feel bad for guys who get paid way more than I'll ever get. But I also don't get hit by 350 pound guys over and over and over again for my living. So, you know, I can do this. I can do my job for 40 years. I can't do it for five years, you know, like these guys. None of us will ever see the money that Ezekiel Elliott made running headlong into NFL players who wanted to rip his head off. But at the same time, none of us know what it feels like to wake up in the morning as Ezekiel Elliott. And Mm -hmm. in five years out of the league, you lose health care. That's a big deal. And that's 
when once you've played one snap in the NFL, you will never be insurable again. So I'm not going to be mad at these guys making gigantic money because how much money are they bringing in in ticket sales? Yep. That's directly attributable to them. It's always the case for overpaying an athlete. If he brings in tickets and he sells jerseys, he's making his money. You know, he's making more than his salary's worth. But uh, to move on from the somber note um, about Mixon, he will be staying for the for, as a Bengals fan who has been seeing their team make the final four the last two years and is still in a Super Bowl window. The key acquisitions, they added Orlando Brown Jr. from Kansas City, formerly of Baltimore, which was a really good pickup because they needed offensive line help. They also added Nick Scott at uh, strong safety from the Rams. And then Sidney Jones at cornerback and Irv Smith Jr., who is a multi, who's a mega talented tight end from Minnesota who could never stay healthy. Possibly an upgrade from Hayden Hurst if he's healthy, but Hayden Hurst was pretty good last year. And then key draft picks, they had Miles Murphy from Clemson at defensive end late in the draft, DJ Turner um, at, I believe it was cornerback um, from Michigan in the second round, as well as uh, Jordan Battle at safety and a couple of receivers, Chase Brown in the fifth round at running back. So uh, other than that, um, they did have some key losses. They lost aforementioned Hayden Hurst. Uh, they lost Von Bell and Jesse Bates both at safety. That's a pretty big loss. And Eli Apple, uh, former Buckeye, who is most known for gra- a lot of uh, pass interference calls and sitting on the bench celebrating making it to the Super Bowl. And uh, Samaje Pirine at running back, which is crazy because he was the main backup to Mixon, as we just talked about. And they didn't really replace him. They replaced him with a fifth-round guy out of Illinois, and maybe the Trivion Williams, who was already there. Yeah, there's a lot here. Cincinnati had a fairly active offseason. What jumps out at me is this, they had to rebuild the secondary like a shift change in a factory. Like, they moved everybody out. They lost both starting safeties. Von yep. Bell is still a plus safety. Jesse Bates is one of the best in the league. He's an elite, yep. You are not going to easily replace Jesse Bates the third. You just aren't. They also moved out Eli Apple, who has developed into not exactly a special player. He's kind of just a guy, but he is a valid starter in the league still. He's got talent. I think he never lived up to his first round draft capital by the Giants, but I think that even at the time he was considered overdrafted. But I think he is a fine above average cornerback who's a solid guy in the secondary as a starter. Maybe not the number one guy, but he's a loss. I think he's still lost. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that you can replace, but it's a significant It's harder to replace than people think he is when they drop him, but he's replaceable. And then I think Hayden Hurst was a pretty big loss. I mean, I know he might have been the fourth target, but they leaned on him pretty heavily in the playoffs last year. If If you look back on his stats, he... He was he's always the guy that was drafted in the first round by the Baltimore Ravens ahead of Lamar Jackson, both first round picks, and uh, Mark Andrews, the fourth rounder of that. So people just remember Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews, but I don't think Hayden Hurst was necessarily a bad tight end. He was outplayed by Mark Andrews, who's arguably the second best tight end behind Travis Kelsey, and then he ends up in um, 
Atlanta where he actually had a really good year and then got outplayed by Kyle Pitts, who is a considered general generational tight end, ended up in Cincinnati last year, and he was pretty good. He he was in, he was banged up midway through the season, but he played very well for the Bengals, and I think he's going to be a bigger loss because as much hype as I've seen for Irv Smith in his years in Minnesota, I've never seen him have as much production as Hayden Hurst had as since as a Bengal last year or as a Falcon a couple of years ago. And I, oh, I think gosh. that's a bigger loss than people realize because Tyler Boyd's getting older and I don't think they're going to be able to keep T Higgins. And I think that um, Hurst could very well be a solid number two passing option behind Chip, Jamar Chase. If Boyd gets old and uh, Higgins walks. I cannot believe the hype train on Irv Smith Jr., especially in fantasy football circles, but even in the NFL. I mean, a lot of it's been injuries, if I'm fair. He's had the last two years basically a wash because of a laundry list of injuries. And that was kind of a recurring theme with guys that the Bengals were able to pick up. A lot of these guys were on injury discounts. Mm -hmm. But um, to me, the big acquisition that jumped out at me was... Uh, Nick Scott, the strong safety from the Rams, other than Orlando Brown, which is the headliner. We'll, we'll come back we'll to Orlando to Brown. In a I'm second. talking about keep on the defensive side. But keep going with Nick Scott. I'm curious. Nick Scott kind of came out of nowhere last year for the Rams to develop as you know a little bit late into a really strong, strong safety that was a above average tackler, really good in the box. You know, the kind of thing that the Bengals are going to need first because they let both of their safeties go, but also because they're in a division with three teams that want to run the ball down their throat. The yeah. they also added uh, Sidney Jones, the fourth, who's got injury issues himself, but has been a good player. You talk about DJ Turner. So there's a lot of turnover in this offense. Excuse me. There's a lot of turnover in this defense and a lot of elevating youth up in the plans. So my take on it is I think that the turnover is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, we talked about this with Green Bay. They had a lot of turnover, but Green Bay is kind of in a transitional period where they just lost Devonta Adams. They lost Aaron Rodgers, et cetera. And I think that they are in a spot where they are building for the future, and I think that's a good spot. Cincinnati is coming off of back-to-back AFC championship games going head-to-head with Patrick Mahomes beating him once and talking about how much better they are than Patrick Mahomes. To rebuild a secondary on the fly when you're in the middle of a Super Bowl run in year three, that's dangerous, in my opinion. So even Especially because cornerbacks tend to not pan out rookie year cornerbacks linebackers you know they usually don't start to really produce till year two or three so if you're going to come into the season leaning on nick scott it's fine but leaning on dj turner as a rookie i don't think you can count on that as a super bowl contender you know i think that you're kicking the can down the road two years and you're in the Super Bowl window now. You have not paid Chase. You've not paid Burrow. You've not paid Higgins yet. This is the time that they should be doubling down on it. But because they've done such a poor job developing the offensive line, they've signed three overpriced 
free agents last year to play off on the offensive line, which did not do very well. Hopefully more on that they, later. Yeah. Hopefully they will develop quote unquote, which is weird to say as a free agent next year or gel, I should say this year. And then they had to double down by paying big money to Orlando Brown, which they can only afford because the aforementioned big three in the passing game is on rookie contracts. And I think that Orlando Brown's the biggest free agency contract because not only can he help plow, you know, running games for uh, Joe Mixon, but he can keep Burrow healthy and upright. And I think that is the key to the Bengals' success. I think as long as they keep Burrow and Chase happening, they will be a playoff team. Well, the well, they would be a Super Bowl team. I don't know, but this is the year that they really could have gone all in, in my opinion, because they haven't paid those guys yet. Do you have any thoughts on that? The the offensive line was an unbelievable mess last year. I don't know if they wanted to increase the tempo of their offense. They were one of the slowest teams in the league offensively. We've talked about this in the podcast. Once again, it's on YouTube. Go find it. But I when they went out and they signed... Orlando Brown. I saw that as a shot across the bow of their incumbent left tackle, Jonah Williams, who was Ooh, dinged up with injury great and point. gave and gave up 12 sacks last year. Can you talk about the Jonah Williams fallout real quick of that signing? Yeah, Jonah Williams was the left tackle at the start of last season and he was not good to put it mildly. He Like I say, he gave up 12 sacks, and he was injured off and on. Eventually, Jackson Carmen came in, and he was... He's not good. He was okay. He's an adult in the room. He's a below average. Let's be honest. He's not a dumpster fire, but he was a below average. Yeah. So now they've got Orlando Brown. They just said, forget it. Everybody out of the room. Get out of here. Orlando Brown's the left tackle. Okay, so now they've got... Carmen, who's already lost two starting offensive line jobs, at least. They've got Jonah Williams and they've got any other leftovers from the wreckage of last year. And they're all basically telling them all, okay, you're all auditioning for right tackle. It's the Joker scene again. Yep. I still don't even know who the right tackle is. The right tackle is going to be one of these guys, probably mm. Jonah Williams or Jackson Carmen. And it's a true training camp battle. So that's probably one that will bear watching very closely to any of us that are in the Cincinnati home region and are looking at what to uh, do there. But who plays right tackle is one of the gigantic questions for this team. And with what their plan is to just kind of throw all the leftovers over there, the answer might be nobody. Yeah, I mean, for the record, though, if the free agent signings last year, the three guys and Orlando Brown pan out, you can cover one bad offensive lineman, especially if he's the right tackle by chipping with the running backs and the tight ends. In which case, if that's what they have to do, losing Hayden Hurst isn't so bad and losing Samaj P. Ryan isn't so bad because those guys were pass catchers. I don't think that's what you want to play for when you're trying to win the Super Bowl. They're still the favorites in the division, in my opinion. But I just, I just, I'm not super excited about what they did because I think this is the year that they should be going all in. And I feel like the next year, I think they have to sign Burrow. I think they have to sign Jamar Chase. 
What's your take on the T Higgins? Because this is this this is honestly, I think, the biggest debate in Cincinnati because they could probably replace Mixon and a uh, as a rookie in a year or two or whatever. They could find a slot receiver replace Tyler Boyd, which, by the way, I love Tyler Boyd. Um, but what's your take on Higgins? Because that is the biggest lightning rod because he's probably going to demand a 80 to $100 million four-year contract extension. Do you think he's worth it? And do you think, assuming the Bengals signed Burrow to six, 55 to $60 million per and Jamar Chase to probably $30 million year per, can they sign and extend T. Higgins? Not for that kind of money, I wouldn't. I mean, I've been wrong before. I mean, Chris Carter got chased out of Philadelphia once upon a time with his coach screaming him out the door. All he does is catch touchdown passes like that was a bad thing. (laughs) Well, we don't want touchdowns in football. I mean. (laughs) Yeah, but gosh, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase have such a connection that they're practically singing boy band ballads to each other. I mean, there's that level of adoration. They know the moves that they're going to make before the other one makes it. They practically finish each other's sentences. I almost said sandwiches, which would be very weird. (laughs) So unless you're going to dramatically increase the tempo of this offense to where you are now a top five passing volume offense, then T Higgins catches 70 balls, 80 balls. Mm Mm-hmm with a similar profile to Jamar Chase, so you're not really complimenting each other. It's not like he's a deep guy that's catching 50 to 70 deep balls. He's not a big Yeah, he's not a big play down guy. That's what Chase is, let's be honest. T. Higgins is more of an intermediate route guy. He's a you know much better Josh Reynolds for our Detroit fans. Much better Josh much, Reynolds. But, much better, but similar style of receiver, similar route distances and trees i i see what you're saying yeah if i had to pay t higgins 25 to 30 million dollars a year for four or five years he's probably not getting that contract if i've got burrow locked up for probably 50 to 60 minimum and jamar chase for probably 30 minimum Mm mm-hmm it's so, a two hundred and thirty million some odd number salary cap, and you're giving two humans ninety million of it. Yeah. So my my take is I, I my first thought was you got to keep the three guys together. That's your big strength. But the more I thought about it, I just I thought about it like if Higgins was the number one receiver on my favorite team, would I want to pay him twenty to twenty five million? I don't know if he's that guy. I know he's had good years when good games when Chase was out, but I don't. It, it's a small sample size, and I don't think if you're the Bengals, you could do it. I think if you have Burrow and Chase, you can get guys on the cheap to complement them because Chase dra- grabs so much gravity that it's going to be easier for the other guys to do well. And I think that the biggest thing for the the Bengals to do is when I looked back on it. The reason why they've signed four big money free agency uh, players to play offensive line the last two years is because they're not good at drafting or 
and or developing offensive line help. And their biggest priority to keep their championship window open is to keep Joe Burrow alive. We saw him as a rookie play really well and tear his ACL because he got massacred. Even as a second-year player, he was getting sacked nine times a game on his way to the Super Bowl. And they signed three three guys, and they still weren't great. They still made it to the AFC Championship game. You need to keep Joe Burrow alive. And I know that good receivers get open faster so he can get rid of the ball quicker. But you have Joe Bur- Jamar Chase. Keep Burrow, keep Chase, get an offensive line or upgrade it. You know, do a better job. I don't know what else to do. They've been at least trying to upgrade the line in free agency, but I think that's what it really comes down to. And then keep, you know, do do the 06 uh, Colts. Get yourself, invest in defensively, invest in the pass rush, play from ahead, try to get ahead, and keep your passing game alive. We haven't actually talked very much about the front seven of the defense. Uh, we talked a whole lot about the defensive backs, but they've got to kind of figure out what happened last year because the Bengals in 2022 had the fourth lowest sack total in the entire NFL after being a top 10 pressure team in 2021. So it's a very real concern at this point which of those two numbers was the outlier and which was the real number? Are they closer in reality to top 10 or are they closer in reality to bottom five? Cause that's going to make a really big difference. Mm-hmm. That's probably why they drafted a defensive end in the first round. Yeah. I think we talked about it. We wanted to see, and I know I wanted to see them draft a offensive tackle to play in the right spot, right tackle, but they took miles Murphy out of Clemson who, might be pretty good. He seems more of a power rusher type than a pure pass rusher. Those tend to be the complementary guys. They don't make the big splashes in free agency or the name, but they get the six to eight sacks a year, but they also hold up against the run. I think it was a good solid pick, but I feel like they also had Sam Hubbard, who's kind of a similar style. You know, I don't know if they have the alpha, like the TJ Watt or the Miles Garrett type you know, that other guys in the division do, which does put them at a disadvantage, except that their offense is so good they're They can play from ahead, you know? And I just, I think that like the 06 Colts had Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis to rush the passer. They're not quite there yet with Cincinnati, but the Cincinnati has also made a Super Bowl at two years ago. AFC Championship like in the last two years. So who am I to judge? I don't know. But I don't know how sustainable it is. What's your what's your take? Do you, what, what do you think they should do at defense if they could do any better? Honestly, the, the defense is a little worrying to me. I kind of like that style of defensive end in this division because you've got two guys that are probably not going to command ludicrous deals, which means they're resignable. Mm-hmm. But you've also got guys that can contribute against the running game, which is important because Pittsburgh wants to run. Baltimore wants to run. Oh, good point. Cleveland, Cleveland wants definitely run. wants to run with uh, Chubb. Yeah. So all of these guys that are, you know, the strong safety that's good in the box, Nick Scott, uh, all of these guys that are not total liabilities anywhere except third and long 
you know, I think those are pretty smart decisions. I have concerns about the back end, mm -hmm. but I'm not super worried about defensive end on this team right now. That's fair. When we get to the over under of 11 and a half for Cincinnati, and we've talked about some parts of the team that are incredible strengths and some parts that are frankly really scary. 11 and a half wins, you bet that over, you're pretty much saying they're going to be a top two team in the AFC. Almost for sure, especially considering who's in this division. Which they have been, though. Are they going to beat 11 and a half wins this year, subtracting Jesse Bates and adding Orlando Brown? So I'll kick off the over-under since I went last on the Green Bay. I think that despite the fact that they were a final four team the last two years and are fairly young and they're in the window. I think that Pittsburgh and Cleveland are two of my favorite teams to take giant steps forward. I think Baltimore is still Baltimore. They're well coached. Uh, they're making efforts to improve their passing game and they will always have a good defense. And you also have Kansas city, uh, Buffalo, et cetera. in the, in AFC, I think I'm going to take them under 11 and a half. I think that 11, for the record, I keep wanting to not rock the boat, but whatever. 11 and a half is a good pick by Vegas' standards, but I think 10 or 11 wins is a really good season for them, in my opinion, especially considering they lost their entire secondary, and I'm not quite sure how great their defense is. And, and they have a really tough division. They were in the NFC... AFC South or NFC South, I think they'd be a slam dunk 10 or 12 or 11, 12, 12 or 13 win season. But oh, agreed. I, I'm, a, I'm taking them at 10 or 11. And, you know, Bengals fans, write your hate towards me, but I will be riding some of your guys in fantasy. But I am also a hater. Send hate mail to Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com and you might get on the show. <laughs> so, what's your take? 11 and a half is a very that's another quality number from from the Vegas guys who know this about as well as anybody outside the league gosh the right tackle scares me mm -hmm. gosh the defensive secondary scares me also this, the fact that their three defensive or offensive linemen that they signed last year didn't really play well scares me yeah how much of that money can they get out of mm-hmm this and maybe they're looking at that because they they acted like a team that was over the cap this year, and but they're just cheap in general, which is that is unfo yeah. an unfortunate truth. I mean, that's not slander; that's facts. Mm -hmm. That just uh, makes me feel bad for the fans. Yeah, they they deserve better. They have not done anywhere near the level of cap massaging in Cincinnati that other teams do. And especially successful teams do. Well, like they just made mix and take less money. Do they sign anyone to with that cap space? Not yet. Will they? Probably not. If they did, I would uh, I would be more defensive of them making mix and sign for less. But they haven't yet, and I don't know if they will. At the end of the day, though, here's what I think: mm -hmm. Jesse Bates out and Orlando Brown in unless Brown falls off the cliff is a net win for Cincinnati because at this point, unless that right tackle is such a disaster that they, 
are signing street free agents by October, then this is an offense that has all the pieces. And despite the old adage in today's NFL, offense wins championships. Mm, agreed. I mean, we, we mentioned earlier, you can cover one bad def- uh, offensive lineman spot with, by chipping and whatever. So you're right. You're right. That's exactly. Fair. So I am actually on the over for Cincinnati here. And which might be our first disagreement. Well, in that case, I'm going to go way under. They're going to get the number one pick of the draft. And I think they're <laughs> insane to thinking they're going to be a Super Bowl team. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, I didn't say no, they're but... going to be a Super Bowl team, but I think there's going to be multiple, multiple, maybe playoff teams from this division. <laughs> it's going to be real tough you're, because you're... I think there's going to be a team in the AFC South with a division title that might not even be in the playoffs if they were in the AFC West or the North. I mean, we saw the Titans make a final four run a couple of years ago, despite being in a terrible division. It happens all the time, but I, I, I agree. I think that the Bengals are really good and they're in a really good division. That doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to be great because good teams and good divisions can be awesome. And your point to that one bad offensive line spot, I guess I'm just mostly disappointed that they could have done way better this offseason because this is the window and this is the time to go all in. And I think that they should have signed someone, someone. I don't know who. I, I could do this. I could double down this later, but like I, I would have liked to see them go farther in to try to maximize this year and next year's window than whatever they did this year. So they could be an 11, 12 win team, but. I think they should be a 13 to 14 win team. And that is my disappointment. And I'm okay sticking with my under. And I think you made a good point to click for the over. And um, before we move on, I do want to give a special thank you for Alex for coming on the show. She used to watch my dog Ray when no one else wanted to, when she was a little puppy and a little spaz. So I was happy to see her again. And I was happy to show her Ray on the side. You can cut this if you want to or not, but it was just a special shout out and I definitely recommend listening to uh, hashtag murder. It is a great, great podcast and they're about to have some Patreon episodes. They're doing great. And I uh, wish them all the best and I appreciate Alex coming on and I hope Alex and previously uh, last week's guest, Tony can come on and our future guests can come on when we need to have a, what do they call it? A emergency podcast and big news breaks for their teams, et cetera. So I hope we can set that up for later this uh, season. And um, speaking of future uh, guests, next week we're going to have our resident composer, Raymond, on the dial here to talk about his favorite team, the Indianapolis Colts. We'll also be talking next week about the Minnesota Vikings. Plenty to say there, plus all of the news. But that's about all the time we've got for the Midwest Football Podcast this week. Thanks again to Raymond for our theme. You'll get to finally hear him uh, next week in person and by voice. Uh, Also for uh, Chris Brandley, for all of our logos. Thank you to all of our listeners who give us time each week. We are so very grateful for all of you. But until next time, it is fifth quarter time. We will see you later. I miss you already. 